The following resource is from Two Journeys. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God. Please visit twojourneys.org for more resources. So uh, the topic that I wanted to talk to you guys about, um, we went through at our last lunch, I think, and, and talked about what are some good topics we could discuss in 2023. And a number of people resonated with this one. And it has to do with uh, making a distinction between central or main doctrines, vital issues, primary issues, and then secondary, tertiary issues, things like that. Is such a division biblical? Is it helpful? Um, if, if it's denied, is there danger in that? Is there, is there a, a danger in seeing every single issue and doctrine as equally vital and equally important? Those are, that's what's in front of us here. The question is, is every hill a hill on which to die? You know, or can we recognize a hierarchy of doctrines and issues in the life of the church? Let me pray for God's help. And we'll go on from there. Lord, I thank you for these brother pastors. Thank you for the friendship that we have <clears throat> together. I thank you for the one-on-one -on -one conversations that we enjoy sitting around the table. Um, I thank you for the more formal times that we have had to instruct one another, as I've learned from other uh, pastors and, and their experiences in these settings. And um, now it's my chance to share as well. So I just pray that you be with me, guide me, uh, guard me from error and lead us to consider this topic in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to begin with what I would call possibly an apocryphal story. I didn't have the time to hunt it down. Parenthetically, I, I think there should be a better business bureau for pastor illustrations, all right, you know, uh, so that you know, we can discern if it's true or not. I think it matters if something's true or not. You know, if you're going to tell an allegory, fine, tell it as such. Um, but uh, this is a story I heard about John MacArthur. John MacArthur is a a hero and a mentor uh, of mine. I've never met him. Well, I met him once. Uh, he wouldn't know me, I don't think, at all. Um, but shortly after I came to Faith in Christ, my junior year at MIT, I started listening to Grace to You. Um, and just the, uh, <clears throat> the example of sequential exposition and trusting the Bible to take your local church where you need to go and not, not approach it topically, but just take books of the Bible and move through them. Um, I've learned so much from him. I don't agree with every aspect of his doctrine, um, but I've learned so much from him. And I think it's amazing. He's been in one local church for so long. Um, uh, but this is a story, possibly apocryphal. It might be true. Um, but when, uh, so I hear when John MacArthur began his pastoral ministry at Grace Community Church in February of 1969. Think about that. All right. I turned 60 a few uh, months ago, a few weeks ago. All right. I was born in 1962. So I was seven when he started at that church. Uh, so a good long while to be there. But anyway, on, uh, painted on the side of the vans, I guess, uh, of Grace Community Church uh, was this slogan, which perhaps you've heard. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Okay. Apparently, by the apocryphal story, MacArthur had it painted over, saying there are no non-essentials. All right. Well, if you've heard him preach, that actually does line up with him. All right. Um, I think it was said of another person, you're more certain about everything than I am about anything. All right. <laughs> 
So, you know, with MacArthur, I don't. I I think there is a practical denial of a hierarchy of certainty of truth. It's just every detail seems equally clear to him. I would argue that actually undermines your credibility, frankly, to some degree. I think it's not helpful to never say in a sermon or with any matter, I don't know, or that's a hard one, or I really, I have a hard time making a decision on that one. Can you picture MacArthur saying that, all right? I can't, Um, you know, and I think he he would be proud to say that he doesn't know that he's ever gone into the pulpit, not certain of anything. You know, for me, I actually just did it. I do it actually regularly. Um, This past Sunday, I kicked around a topic. You're like, well, why would you ever even kick around a topic in front of the church that you haven't resolved? I actually think it's helpful. And the one this past Sunday was a synoptic problem uh, issue. And it had to do with, I'm walking through Mark, and it had to do with um, uh, Peter's confession you know, who do you say that I am? And in Mark's gospel, he said, you are the Christ, period. But in Matthew's gospel, it says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, as an errantist, he said, son of the living God. There's no doubt about it. None of the gospel records are absolutely complete. They're all truncated to some degree. You know, John said the world couldn't hold all the books that would be written if I wrote everything down. So they're all, you know, edited and, you know, et cetera. So I don't have any problem with the fact that the Holy Spirit led Mark to truncate Peter's confession in his gospel and not led Matthew to truncate it in his gospel. I don't have any problem. I, I am wondering why the Spirit would have led Mark to do that, given that, in my opinion, That is the theme of this whole Gospel of Mark, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You'd think, especially since New Testament scholars tell us that's Peter's Gospel through Mark, why wouldn't he give the full confession? My answer, I don't know. I said that to the church, but I'm willing to speculate. (laughs) I have some speculations. My speculation was that Peter didn't, he knew in retrospect that he did not have a full understanding of what those words meant. And it was proven by his immediate behavior in rebuking Jesus. And so therefore, just in humility, it's like, yeah, I said, son of the living God, but I really didn't know what that meant at that point. That's, but I'm willing to say, look, that's at a lower level for me than that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Now that's absolutely certain. Why the Holy Spirit truncated, I don't know. It's not as certain. So already I'm operating with, with the, the very premise I have here, which is there is a gradation of certainty, a gradation of truth. Now, let me talk about this slogan, and essentials unity and non-essentials liberty and all things charity. Slogan has a long and interesting history originating from an obscure German Lutheran theologian, Rupertus Meldenius. He wrote a tract in 1627 uh, during the horrendously bloody Thirty Years' War, which was essentially, essentially a continual religious war between Protestants and Catholics for religious and political control of Europe. Um, many theologians who followed seized on that statement as a prime statement of Christian unity, including Richard Baxter, Philip Schaff, uh, who call it the watchword of Christian peacemakers. Moravians grabbed it, Evangelical Presbyterian Church like it. So it's interesting slogan. 
Uh, whether MacArthur <clears throat> did that or not, as I just mentioned, his general pattern of preaching has been to assert equal certainty to almost every assertion he makes based on his exegesis. While his exegesis, in my opinion, is usually sound, I still question the gathering of all manner of doctrinal assertions and insights from the text into one basket of absolute truth. Um, I actually believe it undermines a pastor's credibility to never admit uncertainty or a lower level of clarity on any issue of the Bible, as though all of the Bible is equally clear. The question before us, is MacArthur right for having done that? If he did it, I don't really know. And I have to be careful because I'm being recorded right now, and this is going to be put on my Two Journeys website. Not that MacArthur cares at all what I think. <laughs> But I am saying for the record, I don't know if he actually painted the buses or they said it. But on the topic, there are no non-essentials. Or are there primary, secondary, tertiary issues in the Bible and therefore in pastoral ministry? Can a pastor make distinctions? Say sometimes I don't know what this means, but here's my opinion. Here's my main thesis. It is scriptural and therefore vital for pastors to recognize the difference between primary, secondary, tertiary issues in the Bible and teach and minister accordingly, keeping the main things inviolable and the secondary tertiary issues properly weighted, taught, and acted upon. I'm not saying you dismiss them, that they have no impact, not at all. Just saying they're not at the same level as those central core issues. That's all. I, I, think, I actually think it's essential to healthy pastoral ministry to be able to make those distinctions and deal with them properly. So my geeky expression is hierarchy of certainty of truth. A hierarchy of certainty of truth. Now, why do I say it that way? I do not say hierarchy of truth um, because things are either true or false. God's not confused about any of them. There's no such hierarchy in God's mind. All right. But there is a hierarchy of certainty on our part. It's like a human perspective thing, like sunrise and sunsets, a human perspective terminology. All right, so from where I stand, I am not as certain about this as I am about that. Now, God is equally certain about everything. All right, so the question then this brings us into is to question the perspicuity or clarity of Scripture. Is there a problem with Scripture that leads to this hierarchy? That's the question. Is there something wrong with the Bible? It should have been written better. Um, and the answer, of course, is no. There is no problem with perspicuity of Scripture. Um, this is from the Westminster Confession of Faith. All things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves. Well, that pretty much settles it right there. The Westminster divines say there is a hierarchy are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. So there'll be differences within the body of Christ. Some people just, they've nailed it, they got it, clear for them. Others are not quite there yet. Not alike clear unto all. Yet, those things that are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded. That would be the Westminster Divine's version of primary issues, right? Those things that are necessary, or in the MacArthur slogan thing, uh, or anti-MacArthur slogan, I guess, essential. Those things that are essential for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or another that not only the learned but the unlearned in a due use of the ordinary means may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. 
Now that statement, by the way, doesn't say anything about secondary tertiary issues. Just implies that there are some. This statement doesn't tell you what to do with them. This statement's only about primary issues, basically, right? Saying the Bible does a great job on the primary issues and everyone can get them if they work at it a little bit. If they just read them and understand them, they'll get it. That's all this Westminster statement does. But it does imply that there's secondary tertiary issues. All right, there is a division, all things in Scripture versus all those things necessary to be known and believed and observed for salvation. So there's more things in Scripture than are needed for salvation. All right. So there's your, there's your hierarchy. Does that make sense? Um, and then the idea of my geeky uh, you know, statement of it, hierarchy of certainty of truth, just fits well with the Westminster Divine Statement. Not, all things are not alike plain unto all. So that's certainty, a sense of plainness, or I get it. There it is. All right, so I asserted in my thesis statement here that this is scriptural, actually. There is a hierarchy within scripture. So we can move aside now from the slogan done in 1627. We can move aside now from the Westminster Divine. Let's go right to scripture. Do we see a gradation in scripture? And the answer is we do. All right. First uh, Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says this, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That's not the only translation of that, but that's the one I'm working with. And I think Paul would agree that the things he's about to list, those are the main doctrines he tries to communicate everywhere he goes. As of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and he was raised from the dead, raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Primary importance Everything else, it seems, is of lesser importance than that. The basic gospel is there asserted to be of first importance. Nothing is more important than this. Therefore, all things other than that, whatever is included in that, are of lesser importance. All right? Uh, then Jesus himself, in his sevenfold woe against the scribes and Pharisees, um, talks about their habits and practices. It says, Woe to you, uh, scribes or teachers of law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, swallow a camel. Jesus himself asserts the variability uh, in the laws of God. There are more important, or KJV, weightier issues. ESV has weightier issues. Weightier, it's literally weighty. That's, I looked up the Greek, so there's a weight or a heaviness to them. Weightier matters of the law versus those that aren't so weighty. Weightier versus lighter. All right? The camel versus the gnat uh, implies primary versus secondary issues. I think it's just obvious there. Yet Jesus does say the lesser matter should not be neglected. You should worry about the gnats, but you should worry more about the camels. That's what he's saying. Is that how you would read that? That's how I would read it. Yes, worry about the gnats, but make certain you put as of top importance the camels. Justice, mercy, faithfulness, and other such central issues. So there is a gradation, according to Jesus, within the law. Again, Peter's evaluation of Paul's letters... Uh, Paul writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. 
which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. All right, that feeds right into the Westminster Divine Statement. Not all things are alike plain unto all. Not everything is equally easy to understand. There are some things that are hard to understand. Not everything in the scripture is equally easy or hard to understand. There's gradations. Now, we, of course, would push back on Peter and say, what in the world are you talking about when you write about the so-called descent to hell, you know, and, and all that, that caused all kinds of trouble in the confessional statements, Peter? I consider that to be a thing hard to understand. I mean, I've had so many questions about 1 Peter 3 and what in the world you meant by that. Moving on. Peter isn't denying that he writes some things that are hard to understand. What I'm saying is this is clear proof that there are gradations or levels within Scripture. Some things harder to understand, some things easier to understand. All right? So also with the milk-meat distinction we have in Hebrews, the milk versus meat. All right? Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. So elementary truths are easier to understand. All right. I would also argue that the things that are easiest, simplest to understand generally would be primary issues. It makes sense because that's the stuff you have to know to be saved. You don't have to be a genius. You could be a child to understand it. And so therefore it makes sense that milk would be in the primary issue kind of thing. There is a God. He made everything. God made us in his image. We've sinned and we break his laws. Christ came, son of God, lived a perfect life, died an atoning death, rose from the dead. All of that's milk. All of it. And I would say all of that's primary. Does that make sense? But anyway, just the milk-meat distinction is... Um, uh, proof of gradations within Scripture. Um, you know, the NIV 84 that I have here has not meat, but so-called solid food. That's the translation. But you guys are familiar with that milk versus meat aspect. Anyone who lives on meat, milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to dis distinguish good from evil. So, as you move on from infancy to adulthood in Christian doctrine, you're able to de develop some spiritual molars and you're able to kind of grind on the meat and get it. So again, that implies that, that milk's for everybody. We're still supposed to yearn for the pure milk of the word, uh, still valuable and beneficial, but the more you go on in Christian life, you are able to see more complex things, things are a little harder to understand, etc. Don't have to believe those things to be saved, but they're helpful. They're in scripture, they're useful, etc. So, etc. There are gradations of scripture. And then uh, um, Paul acknowledged that, and this is vital for my, my, my conception of this topic, that some of the Philippians might disagree with aspects of his teaching, and he was willing to be patient for God to work in them on that. Philippians 3, 15 and 16, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, <laughs> I'm not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that too God will make clear to you in, in good time. Only let us live up to what we have already attained, meaning the doctrinal understandings we already have. By the way, that is, I would say, a centerpiece verse for my whole presentation today. All right, centerpiece. That is like, given that there are, there's gradations, given that, what do we do about it? Well, we don't divide and go off into different churches. We don't get angry and upset. We stay together 
and we work on it and we're patient and we let God work in people's lives. That's what we do. So that's, I love Philippians 3, 15 and 16 as a just big picture strategy of what to do about all this. And finally, of course, Romans 14 is a whole chapter about how to, how to deal with so-called disputable or debatable issues. That, the whole chapter implies gradations. Not every issue is going to be equally important. He's not talking deity of Christ, Trinity. He's not talking about, about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Not, not at all. He's talking about meat sacrifice to idols. He's talking about Sabbath, uh, Jewish aspects of the law, things like that. It's like he's, he's yearning for the church at Rome to stay Jew-Gentile and not break into a Jewish Christian church and a Gentile Christian church, which would be a terrible witness. He wants them to stay together, and he gives in Romans 14 ways, rules of the road, whereby they can get along while they disagree. What can they do? So the whole chapter implies gradations. All right, disputable matters cannot be essentials of the faith, but matters that can only be disagreed about, uh, uh, disagreed upon within healthy fellowship while there's still room for growth and persuasion. All right, now, I added this at the last minute right before I got it printed off here. Um, I was talking to Wes, I walked in here. This is an important subtopic. I'm talking to you guys as church leaders, pastors on this topic. But what are the dangers for church members who deny hierarchy? Are there church members? Absolutely. You'll find church members that, that there's no gray area for them. They really want a church with definitely leadership, and as much as possible, other church members that agree with them from A to Z. Well, if you have somebody like that, you have to care about that and try to, try to teach them about this hierarchy of certainty of truth because it's going to be dangerous for them if they don't, if they don't move away from it. Why is that? Well, if church members believe that all issues are equally clear and therefore we must have absolute agreement on every point, there are dangers. Number one, spiritual pride. They don't see their own pride. They have got it all worked out from A to Z. A, B, C, D, they got it all worked out. They're there. Why aren't you where I'm at? So that's an essential spiritual pride there. Therefore, they don't think they need to grow anymore. So they're going to miss out on opportunities, stunted growth, because God has ordained within local church the principle of iron sharpens iron. You and a brother or a sister disagree. Don't quit on each other. Sharpen each other. File things off on each other. Each of you probably has some misunderstandings. Each of you needs to listen to each other. So the iron sharpens iron principle only works if there's two pieces of iron. If one of the pieces of iron, mixing the metaphors badly, takes its ball and goes home, you don't have any rubbing anymore and you can't sharpen each other. And so stunted growth, suspicion, they're gonna be continually suspicious. They're not going to be doing that judgment of charity thing. Not with other brothers and sisters and definitely not with the church leadership. And so they're gonna be suspicious of church leadership. They're gonna be looking everywhere for wolves in sheep's clothing and they're gonna be finding them, suspicious. They're not gonna be able to have sweet fellowship because they don't agree. And therefore, they're going to start organizing factions. They're going to start pulling people together that do agree with them on point J or point M from A to Z. You know, the pastors don't agree on point J or point M. And so I got to fight. I got to work. So are there, do I have other people in the church that do agree with me about point J or point M? All right, well, let's get together and let's start talking because we need to do something here. And then ultimately, they're just going to leave. Fractured unity. Or they're going to win and you'll leave. 
Uh, either way, it's dangerous. So the, the unity of the church is destroyed by a denial of hierarchy of certainty. That's how important this topic is. All right. Recent cautionary tale, what I called in 2020 the triple-headed monster. What I saw rending good evangelical friendships, race relations, politics, and COVID. Anybody experience division on those things at all? <laughs> it's sad because you had very good friends that walked together for years. I'm talking about some pretty famous people that I know. I'm not saying names right now that then couldn't walk together anymore. That's the, de that's the devil's work. And so, you know, and I'm not sure we've still healed from it. You know, still. Anyway, uh, in our church, um, we lost people at both ends of the bell curve on COVID. You know what I mean? The zero to 5% and the 95 to 100% people. We were kind of mushy middle on what to do about COVID, kind of very average. I'd call us a very average church on what to do about COVID. Um, and we lost the zero to five and the 95 to 100, the, the fringe, fringe people. We would love to have gotten those, those people together in a room and just watch like a closed circuit thing of a TV and watch them discuss it. Uh, probably not. We'd have to break in at some point. It's like, all right, all right, it's gone far enough. Um, but there was there were ardent persuasion on, on this on both sides. So it was tough. Principles from Romans 14, just quickly, um, I just got this from a sermon. Gospel freedom, gospel purity, gospel unity. These are the, that's like a three-legged stool that Paul's working on there. Those are vital principles in Romans 14 um, that he argues from. There, there is such a thing as gospel freedom. There is such a thing as purity. There is a right answer on meat sacrifice to idols. It's not like he has no idea. But, you know, so we are going to work toward toward uh, doctrinal unity, uh, gospel unity, that's the thing. But along with that, from Romans 14, you got these three beautiful virtues. Humility, which is, I might be wrong about t secondary tertiary issues. Humility is vital, right? I might be wrong about this. So teach me, help me, you know, et cetera. If you don't have that humility, like I said earlier, you're done learning. You're, you've arrived. Um, but then truth, understand there's still more we could learn. I probably, I, I need to grow. There's some more understanding of Scripture. Scripture says more than you think it does. For me, meticulous memorization of whole books of the Bible has taught me that principle. Scripture says more than you think it does. There are lots of details you've never noticed. Brand new one today, all right? Should I do this? Luke 20, 30. Someone look it up. Anyone want to read for me Luke 20, 30? It's my verse for the day. This was a whole new thing for me today. I'm sharing with you. This has nothing to do with my topic, but somebody read Luke 20, 30. Just that verse, though. Be very, very careful. I want just that verse read. Chapter 20. Luke 20, verse 30. And the second. Thank you. Appreciate that. All right, let's move on. Um, like, what in the world? I bet you didn't realize there was a verse like that in the Bible. And the second, is that, that uh, remember that weird case study on the Sadducees brought about the, the brothers, the seven brothers that all married the same woman, right? Some scry, some monk somewhere thought that would be a good thing to put in one verse. <laughs> so that's my verse for the day, Luke 20, 30. Say it again. And the Thank you very much. See, that's a good place to just start with <laughs> scripture memorization. Start with Luke 20, 30. And then love, act in love toward one another, these, these principal things. Anyway, the point about Luke 20, 30 and just all things, Scripture just has aspects you have never thought of before. You never thought of before.
All right, so what should we do about this? Here's, here's my advice. Uh, number one, keep the gospel primary, central. Keep primary things central. Teach them often, all right? I am committed to preaching the gospel literally every week from the, from the pulpit. It's not the only thing I do, but I preach a version of God, man, Christ response every single week. If Paul says I passed it on to you as of first importance, I wanna keep it primary. So let's keep teaching those primary things. Secondly, seek Trinitarian unity in doctrine. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit don't disagree about anything. In heaven, we will not disagree about anything. So therefore, as Jesus prayed in John 17, may they be brought to complete unity. We should strive for absolute doctrinal unity. We should strive for it. We should try to be like-minded. We should pr try to get to that point where we actually genuinely agree through sound exegesis. So let's strive for it. Um, thirdly, teach the whole counsel of God. So that's not neglecting the gnats. Go after everything. Go after details. Details matter. Small things matter. Questions that you never thought of before matters. That's what makes preaching so fascinating. You know, you should be learning things all the time and bring those things up, but they're not all primary. They're going to be secondary, tertiary stuff. Some of it's like, I don't really know. Others start to float and get higher and more important. Like one question I shared with the guys earlier today, uh, I'm memorizing Ezekiel. Why is there such a predominance of feminine themes in Ezekiel? Why are the people of God so consistently feminized in Ezekiel? They are women who are going after, lustfully going after other lovers. And I think it relates to the bride of Christ. We're all in that feminine bride of Christ role, married to God, married, and we are all of us straying and adulterous and going after other, other lovers, that kind of thing. That's an interesting question. And I first noticed it, and then it started getting stronger and stronger as a theme, and because it's not a minor theme in Ezekiel, actually. So teach the whole counsel of God. Don't neglect the gnats or the camels. Emphasize the camels, but don't neglect the lesser things. Fourth, be clear and honest when you're not certain or you're just giving an opinion. So these are a couple of verses in one of the translations where Paul says, I'm going to give you my opinion. Like in 1 Corinthians 7, now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So Paul gives his opinion. He gives an opinion about uh, Christian giving, finances. Now this is my opinion in this matter. This is what I think you should do. So just if you have an opinion, give it as an opinion. All right? It's not, it's not primary, you know, central truth. So be humble and give opinions. And then fifth, as I said already, be patient as a teacher of the word. Let God work in people. Let him work on, on the controversial issues. Let him work on the, on the stuff. It's going to take time. And so be sweet-spirited like Paul is in Philippians. Say, you know, I don't think I'm wrong on this. I'm open to what you have to say. And... You don't have to be offensive, but if you take an hour with somebody and it's like, I want you to be, I'm being honest, you haven't moved my needle at all. You haven't moved my needle at all. Like I actually met with the father of a church member who believes in real presence in the Lord's Supper. And it's, a, and it's a stumbling block to this individual. He loves our church in every other respect, but he is ardent about real presence. Look, I came out of the Catholic background. I'm not going back there, friend. <laughs> I'm not going back to uh, this is the body of Christ. This is the blood. And it's like, but he was actually, he got up out of his chair as an older man. And he just was so energetic about this. And I, I was honest at the beginning, middle, and end. I just want to be completely, you have not moved my needle at all. You know, and you probably don't need to be in our church, okay? Um, because it's, so, it's such a passionate issue for you. But aside from that kind of thing, just being humble being patient and letting God work in people.
at some point, God's going to make this clear to you. But let's us, in the meantime, live up to what we have already discerned. Um, and then along with that, therefore, six, delight in the uh, unity you already have. God's worked that in you. It's amazing that out of the world has come this body of people that agrees about some of the most controversial topics there are. We all agree. The Bible's the word of God. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus died. He rose physically from that. We agree about all these things. Praise God for that. Let's celebrate that. That's, uh, we're, we're heading in the right direction toward Trinitarian unity on everything. Seventh, distinguish levels of agreement necessary for various roles in the church. At New Member Weekend this past Friday, a person came up and said, do I need to believe in Calvinism to join this church? I said, no, you don't. You don't. But we do weed out people that will feel duty-bound by God to publicly challenge the elders on doctrines because you're just going to end up getting disciplined by our church for being divisive. So if you're going to feel duty-bound, like this, this other man I just told you about a moment ago, I think he would feel duty-bound by God to get everyone to see real presence. There's no point in him joining the church because he's just going to end up not being a member of the church after he's in discipline, all right? So since you're not a member now, let's keep you not being a member because <laughs> that's where we're heading. If you're going to feel duty-bound to publicly challenge. But now if you're going to be a deacon, you have to hold the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Right? You don't have to be able to articulate them because you don't have the gift of teaching, maybe. But you do have to hold them. And if you're an elder, you have to embrace them and teach them from a clear conscience. Now, even then, we had to distinguish gradations whereby we weren't requiring Trinitarian unity uh, among the elders. For example, on questions of the millennium, those are fun. It's like, you don't, we don't have one view of the millennium. I don't have one view of them. <laughs> there we go, you know. <laughs> you know, at any rate. Um, so, you know, on that one, lower level. But, uh, you know, uh, we had to get deal with, um, like, old earth, young earth creationism, things like that. You know, how much of science we, you know, you have to believe in the young earth, seven-day creation, you know, what, just, just to try to, you know, distinguish, etc. Um, and then teach this principle, hierarchy of certainty of truth, to church members so they will be protected from the dangers listed above. Spiritual pride, factions, divisions, separation, doing church in their living room, which is so sad when people just finally come to the conclusion there is no local church with which they completely agree and they can't do church with anybody because they just didn't accept this principle. All right. So that's, that's my presentation. Uh, I have an appendix there, which is a document we wrote for onboarding elders. There is listed in there controversial topics that the elders have reached unity and doctrinal positions on that elders have to agree with. Does that make sense? So the list is given there. And uh, not all that you need is there because other documents that I wrote that are not in the appendix, but if you want them, we can give them to you, et cetera. So that's how we walk through this topic. So I'm going to close in prayer and go down and get my Zoom call set up, and uh, we'll take it from there. Father, thank you for these brothers and for this topic. It's a weighty topic, important topic, um, and I thank you that uh, we've had a chance briefly to walk through it. I pray that the things that I've said will be helpful, those things that will not be helpful or not biblical or true, that you would just sweep away like chaff. But I pray that you'd help each of these brothers to be able to pastor and to teach accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. 
Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.